back to another episode of Words of Wellness. I am privileged today to be able to talk to um, a very own mentor and pastor of the local area of Charlotte, North Carolina here as well. Uh, he is pastoring Judah Church, which is also my home church. Uh, he has been rooted here or planted this church uh, about 10 years ago and has been a youth pastor, for, was a youth pastor for about 15 years and has produced, out of him, God has produced a conference called Shabbat Youth Conference that sees over 2,000 kids a year. Um, it is breathtaking to see what God has done through him and not just him, him and his wife as well. And today we are going to talk to Pastor Glenn Walters of Judah Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you hear this, and you, I'm sure you will, you are interested about it, please check out Judah Church online as well. If you have questions about it, shoot us an email at, or shoot them a email at info at judahchurch.com. And they will be more than like happy to get back with you. Today we are going to dive into the life, the role of a pastor and the way mental health plays into that. We're going to ask some questions about what is it like being the pastor, but also as I said earlier, he's been a youth pastor as well. So we want to go through and not necessarily just see things from the pastoral side, but just as you know, what does mental health and how does that look from a pastoral point of view? So first off, Pastor Glenn, thank you for your time in making this podcast happen. Oh man, thank you. I'm excited to do this with you. Well, thank you. It's an honor to do this as well. Um, speaking of, by the time this comes through, I know we're going to be asking some questions about marriage and being a pastor as well, but... You will have just celebrated your what year of marriage? 26. Yeah. 26 on August the 9th. August the 9th, 26, 1997. Oh, I know you're impressed. I know you're impressed. <laughs> Myself. Woo. I was uh, a... Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, it's good to know. And they're still going strong. Absolutely. Every chance I get. <laughs> and he means that as well. Um, but just to get us started, I wanted to start with some basic questions, um, and I use the acronym C, and that stands for sleeping, eating, and exercising. As a, in your role, and it's different for each person because y'all have different schedules, pastors do actually work <laughs> besides what some people used to go off of with that, but just to do the first one for yourself, um, Sleeping with the ass. How often do you find yourself in a regulated sleep schedule? Uh, most of the time, it's it's about six six to eight hours is what I is what I strive to have. Um, depending on the pressure or the nature of what I'm I'm dealing with or contending with, mm -hmm. determine whether or not I get robbed of those hours. Um, and then it usually will show up in my day of rest while I'll nap on Sabbath days. I'll nap mm -hmm. here and there to try to catch back up. Um, but sleep for a pastor, most of the time, um, it is not the activity, it is the mentality that will mess you up with, with your sleep habits. Hmm. 
Interesting. Haven't heard of it that way. Okay. Do you find more different seasons? And we'll go into this in a later question. Is it a seasonal sleep regulation as well? Depending on, for example, even a sermon series or where the church is as a whole determines what that sleep looks like. I think, I think for me the challenge is how, how, how is the climate of the church, the season of the church, mm-hmm. um, and I don't just mean negative things like we're right. we're in the middle of a building program, we're getting ready to break ground any day now, and you know, the nature of what's required of that, the mental um, exertion that those have that mm-hmm. happens with those. So sometimes that will wake you up early in the morning. You okay. know, um, I usually have no problem falling asleep. It's it's staying asleep, it's staying asleep yeah. um, because my mind immediately starts to fire, and when it fires, I'm up. I'm yeah. awake. Um, and so, you know, it's not always the negative sides that will rob you of your sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the excitement and the anticipation, mm-hmm. the vision Good that point. that keeps you awake. Okay. Cool. Um, the other E, well, one of the other E's is eating. I love that. (laughs) Amen. That's a good thing, um, as well. Do you see yourself going through periods of your regular normal diet, um, where everything is normal and versus days where you, or seasons where their eating is, I eat to function, if that makes sense? Yeah. So the the greatest challenge um, that I see for me as it relates to our eating is uh, I, I get so focused that I plow right through, and when I'm done, I'm done. So okay. by the time by the time I'm getting ready to head home, I haven't had lunch yet. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm just now ready to have lunch. Mm-hmm. So I'll eat lunch at three o'clock, and like oh, it'll just be my only meal. Well, starvation is not a healthy way of dealing Correct. with things, um, or You'll get you'll eat lunch at two or three o'clock, and then by dinner time, you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. So then nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, you're munching. Yeah, and that's what you're going to bed on. Okay. Um, a lot of times, when I'm meeting and I'm doing things that's counseling or any of those things, mm-hmm. um, usually food is in the midst of it. There's okay. some element of fellowship that goes with it. That is another opportunity to not exercise discipline. Mm. Um, with those, and so um, it can be it can be a challenge to even find a schedule. Okay. Um, we we just came out of this season, but I thought I think about the basketball schedule of my kids, volleyball schedules of my kids. So that's early morning, late nights. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get yourself into that when when there is a consistency to my schedule. It is mm-hmm. much easier to maintain those eating disciplines. Okay. You said the I think it was some type of mentality when you were talking about sleeping um, and you just said something with the eating as well as like the functioning and it made me see, do those kind of go hand in hand? You're sleeping to with that phrase that you mentioned and you're eating. Do those kind of fit the same mold? Yeah, I spent years um, about 45 pounds overweight and the reason I was that significant I'm still a little I'm still overweight but of where I should be in my range Mm -hmm. but the 40 the 50 pound range Mm -hmm. was because I was using eat my food as my addiction 
Okay. To com- the comfort food yeah. is what we yeah. Southern people call mm-hmm. it. So, you know, you would go get something to make yourself feel better. So you eat ice cream late at mm-hmm. night or you'd go to McDonald's and order, you know, a quarter pounder with yeah. no onions, supersized fries and a supersized drink. Yeah. You know, and it became a vice. Yeah. To try, you know, you can't do drugs, you can't drink alcohol, mm-hmm. you can't do those things, but right. I can go to Big Mac. Yeah. I can go get me a quarter pounder from McDonald's. And maybe that will satisfy mm-hmm. one of those cravings in yeah. me that will help kind of calm me down. I spent years early on. That's how I would deal with stress is I would eat, okay. stress eat. Okay. I would stress eat. And um, and that has been a unique challenge to grow from. Okay. Today, I don't, I don't deal with that in that way. Um, but that was a tendency of mine early on in ministry. Okay. I can't go do drugs. I can't go drink. But I can go to Bojangles. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, luckily, that's that's been broken. That's okay. side of it. And our last one is exercise. Um, how easy or often, or does it vary? Uh, um, not just you, but in your the other pastors that you know as well. Is exercise a priority? And if so, how disciplined do you see yourself and others? So, I absolutely believe exercise is a priority for just mental health taking some of the pressure off the stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find this out later on, um, but at 47, and mm-hmm. certain um, hormones and chemical mm-hmm. imbalances and things like that, that becomes more of a challenge. So you know you will feel better, but you don't have the energy to exert it. Gotcha. And so you struggle mm-hmm. with how, how do I push through because I don't feel like exercising, mm-hmm. but knowing that I'll feel better if I do about myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and those are the challenges. Um, you know, I just, I, I've been in the season where I try to walk, walk five miles mm. five days a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's been a little different because of the nature of this building program. Mm-hmm. But I feel better now. Mm-hmm. I'm sore. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. 47. In my 20s, I'd have been running. Correct. You know, and <laughs> yeah. gym lifted weights. Yeah. Now I'm just trying to get out there and walk. And, yeah. You know, just kind of get that out of my system. You always feel better, but the older you get mm-hmm. when your hormones are doing different things, yes. that even becomes a challenge. Yes. It, um, not at 47 yet, but even turning 40, realizing that, and then the dynamic of children um, as well plays a huge part in even Monday for me as well, um, going to and then trying to do a different type of exercise as well, and having the motivation to do something that you don't want to do is really makes it really harder too as well. But then not feeling it is one of the things where you feel better after you've done it, and you're like, oh yeah, I did that, and I'm checking it off the list. But you keep growing with it, and that is a universal issue not just pastoral issue or man issue. That's people. Not every, even those that post every day about their workouts. Not every day you feel like going, no matter how old you are with that as well. Um, so, uh, moving on from that, when it comes to yourself and your view of mental health, how do you view yourself or what are the signs that a pastor, or you can make it personal yourself as well, um, that you are healthy, that you are in a, not just sleeping, eating, and exercising, but what are the signs that you have recognized for yourself to be like, 
okay, I'm going to have a mental health breakdown if I don't do this. I'm going to need to get away to before anything erupts. Yeah, I think I think one of the signs that I'm in a good spot is when I have the freedom, not just the desire, to go have fun. Okay. Um, that is one of the challenges, especially planting a church, dealing with a building program, um, a growing ministry that you're trying to manage, a staff that you're trying to manage, um, is I still have the freedom. When I still have the freedom to go have fun, mm-hmm. I can break away and the whole world doesn't, I don't feel like the whole world's going to fall in because I'm not present. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's in a healthy spot. Um, Another indicator that I'm in a healthy spot is when I have to deal with conflict, but I'm not carrying the weight before it, Okay. the, the anxiety before it, and I'm not carrying the insecurity after the conflict. We're okay. in a healthy spot. And I think that's one of the challenges, at least for guys that I've been around, mm-hmm. um, is you have such anxiety going into a tough conversation or a tough meeting. And then after you have that tough conversation, you carry the insecurity of that I make them mad enough to leave or quit or, mm. or whatever. And um, those are two real indicators for me is when I feel like I can break away even spontaneously, mm-hmm. take a day and go have fun and, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but then also I'm not sleepless having to get melatonin out because I've got a big meeting coming up the day before mm-hmm. or the day after. And, and then I'm not carrying the insecurity. I think another sign of healthy is when you can go home and the, nobody's asking you how the church is doing in your household yeah, because they're not worried about the next crisis coming up. So I think mm-hmm. it's an indicator of health is when your kids and your wife isn't wondering if anything went wrong today. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't remember the last time I've been asked, is everything okay? And so, to me, those are signs of, mm-hmm. of great health mm-hmm. in my life and in, mm-hmm. in our ministry. That's great. That's also signs of a healthy church Yeah. as well when the pastor can do that. Well, I think, I think a healthy church is a healthy pastor, and a healthy pastor is a healthy church. Hmm. I think that both two, those two are tied together for sure. Would it be the, the things you just mentioned, if those things aren't alignment would that answer the question of the signs of someone not being healthy yeah absolutely you you know long before just my my experience in ministry long before a pastor's up there beating his congregation up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that was already happening inside of the parsonage inside of the pastoral home yeah yeah and before it ever showed up in the home it was already happening in the pastor's mind yeah and if I can stay ahead of those things, mm-hmm. it, it won't show up in my home, which means it won't show up in the pulpit, which means it won't show up in the congregation. And when you see these guys that are, you know, going off on the congregation or you see a pastoral home that is just in disarray, I feel like it's a great indicator that there's something going on in the guy that he met, that was unaddressed. So those are, those are mm-hmm. signs for me of, oh, okay, I'm in a good place. Because my kids aren't nervous. My wife isn't concerned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I can go do my definition of healthy fun for me, mm-hmm. for me to get away. Cool. For those that don't know you, um, you are 
an introverted person by nature. 100%. Is that also, I know that socially um, there as well. Do, Do you see any, what has been a challenge for you and what has also been a great thing for you being introverted as far as being a pastor? Yeah, so uh, I, I try to communicate on a monthly basis to the congregation in the middle of my message that I'm an introvert. Yeah. Because I want them to have that understanding that the guy on the stage, that's that's the call, that's the anointing, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And it gives me permission to not have to be put on yeah. a, a fake identity. Okay. I want the congregation to know authentically who I am. So I'll casually mention my introvertedness, you know, mm-hmm. on a monthly basis. I try to because there's so many new people coming. True. Because I don't want them to have an unrealistic expectation. Um, the introvert side of me, um, the reason why health is so important is because, and you don't understand this, but as an introvert, people drain me. Yeah. I love them, mm-hmm. care for them, I'm called to them, but they drain my battery. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get to where I'm on the side of the road with a dead battery mm-hmm. and you know my wife's got to go find another husband my kids got to have somebody else to call dad yeah. I, I want to make sure that I do what I need to do to recharge my batteries and some of the, sometimes I can do that by going away sometimes I do that by uh, going on dates by myself <laughs> you know yeah. sometimes it's I send everybody else away and I'm at home mm-hmm. um, you know even even for an introvert family drains your battery absolutely and so um, understanding that and then my wife understanding that mm-hmm. was so critical to my personal health. Yes. It's, be- it's not because I don't love people. It's not because they, they've hurt me or they've, they've drained me because they're so needy. Mm-hmm. It's this is who I am. Yeah. And you have to, to love me, you have to understand that. Mm-hmm. That I can be in a room with 300 people and if I'm not saying anything, it's not because I'm stuck up. Right. It's because I'm not comfortable. Correct. And, you know, my wife uh, has been so good, 26 years almost of marriage. By the time this comes out, 26 years. And she understands when we're going and meeting new people, she has to carry it Mm -hmm. until I get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then we'll be able to be able to play. Yeah. Um, And so that has been such a good thing. Uh, I've met, and I I mentor extroverted pastors. Mm Mm-hmm. And to me, they have a bigger challenge. Yes. And the reason why, to me, they have a bigger challenge is as an introvert, what I'm doing on the stage is not really who I am. Mm -hmm. That's who I'm called to become, Mm -hmm. who to be. And it's not fake. I'm anointed. Mm -hmm. But when I get out of that pulpit, I take no credit. Correct. So I don't have to have an ego. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be the one in charge. I don't have to always be the one on stage. Everybody in the congregation doesn't have to love me. For me to feel like I'm val- I'm validated, mm-hmm. I'm introverted, so I'm introspective, so I'm able to look inward mm-hmm. for those things, and just a few select people in my life, mm-hmm. they're the ones that bring validation into my life. Mm-hmm. An extroverted pastor has the greater challenge. Um, it's like Samson; you'll lose sight of what's you yeah. and what's the anointing that is on you. Mm-hmm. And I deal with guys on a consistent basis that are extroverted. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit here and they'll preach and they'll think that the congregation is applauding them. And it's not them, it's the word of God that's Mm -hmm. being released from them, but it's not them. 
And when that applause goes away, they, they all of a sudden become very insecure. They become depressed, mm-hmm. become all these things because if they walk, if, if, the congreg- if a congregant walks away from their ministry, it's like they left them. Mm-hmm. So their pulpit is personal. Mm-hmm. And as an introvert, it's not. You, yeah. you may hate the pastor of Judah Church, but you don't even know Glenn. But for the extroverted pastor, mm-hmm. to know the pastor mm-hmm. is to know the person because they live for that. And the problem for me, the challenge for the extroverted, not the problem, but the mm-hmm. challenge for the extroverted person mm-hmm. is if you live for compliments, you'll die from criticism. Correct. An introverted person doesn't carry that pressure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as much as an extroverted because mm-hmm. we realize, no... This is what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. That is not my identity. Correct. I also think that extroverted pastors have a hard time retiring. Hmm. What brings? The, what makes you say that? Uh, be, because, because they live for people. They live to love okay. people. So they'll be 70, 80 years old, mm-hmm. and the the congregation is enduring uh, their senile sermons mm-hmm. because the how great of a lover that person is gotcha. when they should be a senior adult pastor they should be the hospital care director mm-hmm. they should be you know in those yeah. positions where they're mm-hmm. just sitting in surgery rooms loving on people mentoring others. yeah absolutely like that's the stuff they should be doing gotcha. because they don't know when to let go because the pulpit becomes way too personal can you substitute uh personal for identity oh 100 100 okay. so when you tell when you tell me the sermon was a phenomenal sermon today, mm-hmm. what I hear as an introvert is the sermon was really good, not me. True. When an extroverted person hears the sermon was really good, mm-hmm. what they hear is I was really good. Gotcha. So if I don't tell you the sermon was really good, mm. then you're going to think I didn't do my job. And that and that's the challenge that I see with extroverted pastors that I don't have I, I don't have that pressure. Okay. Now I need my wife mm-hmm. to validate. Correct. I need a couple really close relationships mm-hmm. that I you know that I, that are in my bubble, my introverted bubble. Yeah. I yeah. I, I, I I want their validation. Mm-hmm. But if the six hundred plus people that come in on Sunday morning, if ninety nine percent of them never say anything about the sermon. That's okay. Mm-hmm. If they do say th- something about the sermon, they're not talking about me. I'm, mm-hmm. I just delivered it. I'm the mailman. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm the mailman, not the envelope. Understood. Part of being, and I think a part of that is, as introverts, I'm also as well melancholy in my um, temperament as well, is that we want to make sure, in your instances, that the things that we're doing, we are competent. We appear that we know what we're doing. So you're going to spend hours of studying and prepping for all of those things as well. But We hate to be embarrassed. Fully. We hate to be embarrassed. We hate to A be brought up. hates to be embarrassed. <laughs> yes. yes. Being brought up in front of people <laughs> for a sermon. Or, or being, made to look to stu- being made to look stupid. Stupid is a very sensitive word to an introvert because it really is almost an identity issue. That is associated with that. Because we do everything to prove that we're not. Absolutely. In that kind of way. Fully agree. Um, But within that, also being part of 
the extroverts versus the introverts is the issue of confidentiality, especially as a pastor. Um, whereas extroverts in nature are, like you know, the life of the party. They love to go out, they love to talk, they love to be around people, but they also may overshare at certain times and certain things. Um, but as the introvert, we keep secrets, no problem, no, because we ain't gonna tell nobody because we don't have anybody to tell, almost in that kind of regards. But when it comes to counseling or any venue of mental health services that are needed, is it harder for a pastor to have a counselor or a therapist that they can go to or attach? Um, or do you feel as if pastors have that role, but it comes, they have someone fitting that role, but it comes in a different title or nature? Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because to me, there are two schools of pastoring today. Okay. Um, you got the ones who are more of the old school, which is I am everything to my congregation. Mm hmm. I am the pastor, I am the elder, I am the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, mm -hmm. I am the teacher, mm -hmm. I am the counselor, I am the comforter, I have an S <laughs> on my chest, I am, yeah. this is what you pay me to do, mm. I am here for you for everything. I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, those guys, and, and I say old school, I don't mean old, people. No. Because there's guys younger than me that still have that old, old school, school mentality. mentality. Yes, Absolutely. Um, they have an S on their chest, and they they say they don't like doing everything, but mm -hmm. they love doing everything. Mm -hmm. That's how they stay busy, because they don't really know what to do. Okay. Um, or they're not sure that they have permission to not be those things. That's mm -hmm. probably a better way to say mm -hmm. that. Those guys have a very difficult time going to counseling. Okay. Because their ego is attached to it. Hmm. And so if I'm everything to my congregation, I shouldn't need somebody. Mm. Um, a good 40-day a good fast ought to fix this. Wow. A good, a good hour in the altar, shouting and speaking in tongues mm. and getting it all out, okay? Right. That, that should be all I need. That should, that, that should work. Hmm. And it does. For a lot of things. Okay. But there are some things mm -hmm. that you need someone as anointed in the counseling room yeah. as you are in the pulpit mm -hmm. to be able to leverage that yeah. anointing. Um, and so the new school guy, newer school guys, they, they're humble enough to go, okay, I can't be this, mm -hmm. and I can't be this even for myself. Mm -hmm. So I do need someone in my life. Yeah. Um, to be able to, to um, just kind of unload on and and live and and I think that goes back to identity, which mm -hmm. is, are you the guy in the pulpit? Okay. Is that who you are? Mm -hmm. Is that your identity? Is is what you're providing in the pulpit? Mm -hmm. Or is there something else? I have this conversation often now, especially because I'm heading towards fifty. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't want to be an old dude in the pulpit. So there were two quarterbacks. Um, that I always illustrate this with, John Elway mm -hmm. and Brett Favre. Okay. Okay, John Elway won the Super Bowl and retired. Correct. Okay, Brett Favre mm -hmm. won the Super Bowl, retired, and then came back. 
and then came back again. Mm-hmm. And then I, he might even still be trying to come back again. <laughs> and it's like you were at the zenith of your career. Yeah. There is no higher level mm-hmm. of impact and influence. Step away. But he couldn't let go of it. Okay. There was one more thing he needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even a little more current, but if Tom Brady yeah. comes back again, mm-hmm. it will tarnish his reputation. Yes. Because you've done enough. Mm-hmm. Like, go enjoy retirement. But I can't retire because it's still in me. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be the John Elway. Mm-hmm. I want to be the guy who makes the maximum impact. And then I've got a life outside of the pulpit. But I think that's part of my introvert. Mm-hmm. So there are things mm-hmm. I want to do outside of the pulpit mm-hmm. on a week-to-week basis that I can't wait. Yeah, Can't wait for. And some of these guys just live for the pulpit. The point I'm making is that they approach that in everything. So okay. I don't I don't need counseling because I am a counselor. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what they don't understand is most of the people who get in counseling had such trauma in their ba- in their early years Correct. that it sent them on this journey to mm-hmm. become a counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it it required them to figure it out for themselves and then in turn try to help someone yeah. else. Well, there are things that mm-hmm. a pastor just is never going to understand. And the moment you realize what you're not good at, mm-hmm. it gives you permission to lean on somebody who is really good at it. Yeah. So there are things that um, that we have counselors here at mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And um, there are things that I'll knock on the door and go, hey, can, can we talk? Mm-hmm. And let help give me the ability to work this. Number one, let me get it out. Yeah. And then give me perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I found that most old school guys have too much ego to be able to do that. Understood. This is, um, I couldn't help it, and it was on here, but just a little break. Um, going off script a little bit, you've mentioned, without saying her, your wife a lot in your answers here and just in this conversation, which is Pastor Emily. Um, and I'll go back to when we first mentioned her um, under the radar, but when you mentioned how your wife understood you, um, your temperament, and with that, um, I think it was within the last three to five years or so where you guys really understood the temperaments of each other and how they go inside with each other within that. Um how was life married before that? As far as being, and, I, and to bring it into this conversation, um, your partner is always going to be there for you. Your, your spouse is there for you. But when you understand how she is made, her temperament, and how you are made, the things that can clash, but also you understand why they clash and the things that you guys just work together with. I mean, 20 plus years, that's even more, the older we get, the rarer it is uh, within marriages. So how can knowing your partner, and especially a pastor and a pastor's wife, what has been the greatest successes that you guys have seen together in this role um, as pastors? Yeah, so I, I'll say that before before me understanding who she was, mm-hmm. she had to understand who she was. 
Okay. So I say that she's the firstborn. I'm a middle child. And by the nature of the firstborn, mm-hmm. she carried characteristics and traits mm-hmm. because of her position as a child, not her temperament. Correct. So it, early on, she took the temperament. Mm-hmm. Okay, she took her temperament. Okay. Test, okay. And she came back choleric, 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 choleric. Cleric on steroids. Oh, okay? gosh. All right. Overly cleric. Okay? Oh, boy. Like, cholesterol cleric. Okay? I mean, it's just crazy. Uh-huh. But that really wasn't who she was. No. That's who she was required to be as the firstborn child. Understood. And as time went on, she realized, man, there's sanguine in there. Mm-hmm. There's all these other temperament things. Yeah. As a matter of fact, cleric isn't anywhere in her temperament. I don't see it. Okay. But because of her position, she had to take mm-hmm. on that temperament. Okay. And as time went on, mm-hmm. she got to find out who she really is. Mm-hmm. Not just who she was required to be. Yes. So when she became aware, mm-hmm. then it was easier for me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. So I can't love you because you don't mm-hmm. even love you. Right. And now that you know you and love who you who you are... Mm-hmm. That created an opportunity for me then to begin to love her and her in turn love me. Okay. Number one. Number two, uh, the stage of children, it was another challenge. Okay. Because the mother in her was required to come to the forefront. So there were seasons where I felt like I was getting the leftovers never recognizing that she's demonstrating how incredibly in love she is with me by taking care of the ones that we created. But I saw them in certain seasons as competition and would pout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now that that stage is over, mm-hmm. you know, we're back to our identity yeah. of this is me and this is you. And we've got our groove. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've yeah. got our groove. I know her. She knows me. We're not sitting around with bust ups, having arguments mm-hmm. all the time, you know, somebody mm-hmm. sleeping in different rooms. Yeah. But all that stuff happened when as she's learning me I'm learning the real her and we're able to jail that like God God created her for me mm-hmm. but the person I met was not the person yeah. that she really was mm-hmm. and now that she's become that and I have matured to be able to lovingly as unto the Lord lead that mm-hmm. man there's great synergy you asked what was the greatest success of our of our mm-hmm. marriage. Um, I will attribute it to one thing, and this was a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me very early in my ministry, do not go home and ruin your wife's church. Okay. And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, your fellow employee, your fellow staff member mm-hmm. is the worship leader, but it's her worship leader. Yeah. Your fellow employee is the um, evangelism director, but mm-hmm. that's her evangelism director. Yes. Your your boss is your senior pastor, mm-hmm. but it's her senior pastor. And if you go home and unload what's happening employee to employee, mm-hmm. you will ruin her church. Mm-hmm. So she will sit there because women love deep, they wound deep. Okay. And she will sit there and carry 
and harbor hurts and feelings towards mm-hmm. those people, and they're trying to lead her in a deeper relationship of love with God, mm-hmm. and you'll ruin that in her life. Don't take home yeah. that stuff. Your wife can't be your confidant. Good point. And so that was the mentorship advice I got as a very, at a very early mm-hmm. age of ministry mm-hmm. that I attribute to the success of my yeah. ministry is I don't go home and make my wife my counselor. Yeah. I get counsel from her mm-hmm. about issues, mm-hmm. but I don't bring drama out of their home. I had that same, that same mentor said to me, um, and it was a little bit of a joke, but it was mm-hmm. fun. He said, you need to get a cussing tree. Mm-hmm. And I said, a cussing tree? What is, what is a cussing tree? He said, you need to pick one tree out in your yard. Uh-huh. And when you get out of your car on really stressful days, you need to walk over that tree, put your hand on that tree. And say everything you need to say to get it out of you. And mm-hmm. if you have to cuss, cuss. Mm-hmm. But get it out of you before you walk in there to become a husband and a father. That's funny. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I, I've been to that tree many times. Yeah. I'm not a cusser. But I came close. Yeah. Right, I came close. I came close over yeah. the years. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not a cusser. And, uh, yeah. But it was such great visualization to mm-hmm. say, don't, don't kill your wife. Yeah. Trying to stay afloat yourself. Yeah. So, you know, years ago I was an aquatics director and I trained lifeguards. Yeah. You've heard this story yeah. before. And uh, the first thing I teach lifeguards, I, w- I taught lifeguards when I was certifying them to become lifeguards, is first rule is you got to be willing to swim away and let somebody drown. And if you're unwilling to let someone drown, you don't need to be a lifeguard. Hmm. And the reason is when someone is in panic and in crisis yeah. in the water, mm-hmm. They will climb you and drown you Survival. trying to keep their head afloat. Yeah. And if you're not willing to preserve your own life, you're not going to be good enough to save somebody else's. Mm. It's the first rule that mm-hmm. I had to teach as a lifeguard instructor. Mm. And that is my same advice. Okay. Is don't go home and drown your wife mm-hmm. trying to keep your own head afloat. Gotcha. And that, that's probably the greatest success of our marriage is I've kept that out of my house. Yeah. I'm not perfect, but no. for the most part, I've yeah. kept all that stuff out of my house. Now, how do you translate that to the female pastors? That, again, I understand you go home, that's his worship pastor, um, that's his pastor, and those kind of things, but understanding that they wound deep as well, but they still have to go deliver the word of God. Well, you'll have to ask a woman pastor. <laughs> okay, fair. But I'll give you my perspective. Absolutely. Um, the ones that I have seen model this the best mm-hmm. has been women who are pastors, leaders. Okay. But when they go home, mm-hmm. they submit their themselves to their husbands. Okay. And I don't yeah. know how they do it. Yeah. I don't know what triggers they have. Yeah. You have to ask them that. Okay. But the ones that I've seen that have the healthiest relationships mm-hmm. are the ones that don't come in above their 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 husbands. Okay. In the home, they they're submitted. That that is the healthy the ones that I I've, I've seen modeled. Okay. How they do it, you have to ask them. <laughs> With fair and understood. Um one last question and then we'll wrap up from here. Um there are intercessors, there are um uh, all different types of laity and just people in the world that have automatically levels of spiritual warfare that go on in life and just things that um, 
bring on a new new levels, new devils within that. Um, but from this perspective, I would love for you to answer from just individually and then the power of Pastor Emily with you. Um, are there certain levels of spiritual warfare that kind of goes back to the seeing in the beginning of the conversation of being healthy, um, but are there certain levels of spiritual warfare that honestly just seem too much to bear by yourself as the pastor of a church? One hundred percent. There are there are seasons of warfare that are very difficult. Um, that he is bigger than even for my family. Okay. Um, and as an introvert, we keep all that. Correct. So when I was able to share with my wife, there was a love, another level of freedom that I got to experience. Okay. But now, as I'm able to share with my elders, mm. there's even another level of freedom. Okay. And, and I share, you know, a lot of things with even our prayer team. Mm-hmm. There's yet another level of freedom, mm-hmm. and it's because um, the more people that are praying, mm-hmm. the more powerful it becomes. Okay. So if I'm fighting fifty devils, mm-hmm. then yeah. I got to fight fifty devils. But mm-hmm. if my wife and I have got to fight fifty devils, then I'm gonna fight fifteen, and she's gonna <laughs> fight thirty-five because <laughs> she's a beast. Yes, yeah, she is. Okay. <laughs> but if I've got all 14 of my elders mm. fighting 50 devils. Correct. Then it gets even easier. Mm-hmm. And then if I've got 50 of my prayer team members mm-hmm. and my elders and my wife fighting these 50 devils, mm-hmm. well, now that's what I want. Yeah. You, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, having the vulnerability to be able to share, mm-hmm. not just in the wins but also the warfare, yeah. makes life mm. so much more, more bearable. Um, it, it's it's freeing in that regard. Okay. Um, yeah, another levels, another devils, but it's interesting, Josh. I my life over the last five to seven years is I can be experiencing great victory in one area of my life and great warfare in another, and it has been mm-hmm. that way for years. Mm-hmm. So while I'm winning in one, mm-hmm. I'm warring in another. Yeah. And that is exhausting. Hmm. If I'm trying to be in the winter circle and in the heat of the yeah. battle by myself at the same time, mm-hmm. the more people I have sharing in the warfare, the more people I have sharing in the victory. Hmm. Uh, the more people that get to lift the hand or swing the swords in the warfare, mm-hmm. the more they get to lift the hands in the in the victory. Gotcha. And so, I, I love that that that's where we are in this season, mm-hmm. where I don't have to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have to be the guy all by mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. And, and and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that that's probably the best thing that we've done. One of the best things that we've done okay. is being able to allow people to share not just in the wins but also mm-hmm. the warfare. Yeah, because it keeps them praying, it keeps yeah. them focused. And and most most of the people on our prayer team, the elders, mm-hmm. they love us. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they don't know how to pray is because we would never share mm-hmm. the introvert. Yeah. But when I knew that I could trust, mm-hmm. man, 
Yeah. It's so much easier to kill one devil than 50. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was <laughs> a great thing. And it was a promo almost in itself to where I know some pastors that don't have that. For the pastors, so for the pastors that don't have or don't have the vulnerability or don't feel like they can share those things with them, um, we conclude each episode with a word of prayer over whatever the topic is for the day. So if you don't mind, um, give a word to those pastors um, and or pray with them. But for those that don't have the elders set up, that doesn't have a prayer team in their corner, or don't like to share the things, the intimate things that they need prayer for, what would you say to them or how would you pray for them? Well, the first thing I would say is before before I could trust my wife, mm-hmm. I trusted my grandparents. Okay. Before I had a prayer team, I had grandparents. Before I had an elders to group, group mm-hmm. I had a grandmother and a grandfather. Mm-hmm. That was all these things to me. Okay. If I needed somebody to touch heaven on my behalf because I was just too tired, mm-hmm. man, I would call my grandmother and my grandfather. And they would get off the phone and immediately hit their knees. I had... Mm. I had a prayer team. Mm-hmm. They were praying for me before I knew <laughs> that I needed a yeah. prayer team. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I would I would just say, take an inventory of what you do have. So yeah, you may not have 14 elders, but do you have a man in your church? Do you have a woman in your church that loves you? Mm. So how all of this started was one day, Troy and Tisha, our mm-hmm. elders, mm-hmm. came up to me and said, who prays for you? And I'm like, well, I'm sure people do know who intentionally prays for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I, you know, nobody that I know of. Mm-hmm. He said, if it's okay with you, I would like to get some of the men of our church. And the last thing we do before we leave this church every Sunday is put our hands on your shoulders mm-hmm. and not pray for the preacher to preach, but pray for the husband and the father and just the man to be the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I do when I get here is prepare get my sermon together, mm-hmm. finishing up on Sunday mornings. The last thing that happens to me is my prayer team gathers around me and they don't pray for the preacher. Mm-hmm. They pray for the man mm-hmm. and his family the rest of the week. It mm-hmm. is one of the greatest life-changing moments of my life. And they still do it for years now, every mm-hmm. single week. And, you know, our yeah. prayer team, they'll stay till 1.30, 1 2 o'clock mm-hmm. in the afternoon waiting mm-hmm. for the opportunity to make sure it's the last thing I do mm-hmm. is get prayed over. And I would say to the pastor who doesn't feel like he has an elder or a prayer team, you probably have somebody. Mm-hmm. You probably have an old man, old woman in your church who loves you, been praying for you anyway. Mm-hmm. I'd lean into that. Mm-hmm. I would lean into that. Maybe you've been privileged, blessed to have grandparents like me. Lean into that. Maybe your parents are that way. Lean into that. Mm-hmm. And little by little, God will grow that, those opportunities for them in, in their lives and ministry. Well, thank you for your time um, on this podcast. Um, thank you guys for listening to all of this Words of Wellness with Pastor Glenn and myself. For every pastor um, that has taken the time to do this, we pray blessings into your life. And I speak intercessors into you as well, people that will carry it. I speak your heart will be softened by the Holy Spirit as well to know who you can trust. Let that still small voice still have the power that it needs to reach you in this moment, in this hour. 
whatever has touched you in this hour, I pray that God allows those walls to be torn down, for those steps to be taken forward, and for that mouth to open where it needs to be. Until then, everyone have a great day. We'll talk to you later.